2: All right, folks. Welcome back to the Mountain West Wire Football Podcast
1: Preview Edition,
2: eleven of twelve. Jeremy here, hanging out with Matt. We're two. We're west, Matt, way west to Hawaii, with the best uniforms in the conference. Pending which it's one. Best uniforms in the country. Country, country. Ooh, I, did you like the zing somebody put about UNLV's uniforms? Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: that was pretty fun.
2: We're just gonna dive into it right now because that's what we do. <laughs> it's just some fun stuff. So I think it was a former. Guy wrote for the RJG or whatever, Reno Gazette. Reno
0: Gazette Journal, yeah.
2: Yeah, and then you screenshot it because they replied, like, ah, I'm losing. It was a funny joke. But this is not the UNOV, so we'll get to it next time, right? Yes. But uniforms, we discussed it during media day. They brought the black helmets, Hawaiian Islands with a big H on the side, so that's improvement number one. That's what we got to discuss all the time. I want to know. Matt, are they we need to have the rainbow uniforms come back at some point. Can this what game should it be done?
0: I mean, I certainly hope so. Why not just make it for like the the like the finale at home? Why
2: not? Finale uh for CSU, why not? Have the Yeah. yeah. It's just just do it. Those it's uniforms very
0: aesthetically pleasing. Totally.
2: So should we start with the weird the news about their stadium situation first or should we get to what we normally do?
0: Well, I mean, I think we can probably fold that into what we typically do, just because when you look back at at 2020, and I think this is maybe more true for for the Warriors than for any other team in the Mountain West, the COVID season was, uh, if I were to kind of try and sum it up cleanly, it was sort of a mixed bag all the way around, because obviously they were dealing with the pandemic same as everybody else, so they had the same kind of limited kind of preparation as everybody else. Um which you know may have hamstrung the efforts of of new head coach Todd Graham, you know his new staff all the way around, you know there were some holdovers, but they you know they had new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, new systems they were going to be learning on both sides of the ball, and then they went out and had themselves a really interesting year on the field you know they they beat Fresno State on the road. You know, and that was and unlike we've talked about in other podcasts, that was against like a, a, a Bulldogs team that was at hundred percent. Um and then the very next week they got blown out on the road against Wyoming. Um, came home, beat New Mexico and was a pretty surprising kind of back and forth battle. It went on the road again, got blown out at San Diego State and Carson, had a huge hole against Boise State and then nearly came back and, and was able to close to within one score before ultimately coming short. Maybe pulled off the upset of the year at home against Nevada, mm-hmm. and then and then fell behind again really early to San Jose State, and then nearly came back and pulled that one off, and then wrapped up the season with a nice tidy bow against UNLV, you know, pretty comfortable win. And then the off season was another kind of adventure, which had its ups and downs. You know, they lost some coaches to the Power Five, you know, wide receiver coach Brendan Marion's a Pitt. Uh, offensive mm-hmm. coordinator GJ Kinn is at UCF now. Yeah, Coase. Um, yeah, and then of course, you know, of course, I think the biggest story of all is uh, you know former Warriors legend Colt Brennan passing away mm-hmm. uh, at the age of thirty-seven. Um, Aloha Stadium, no, basically no longer their own field, not um, suitable for play. Yeah, not suitable for play, and so you know when you when you. Take all that into consideration, you can say, man, you know, it's it's definitely been a very crazy kind of twelve calendar months. But when you look at what they actually accomplished on the field last year, there was you know definitely some things that that they need to shore up. You know, they're not coming into this fall without questions, same as every other team in the conference. Mm-hmm. But you know they've got one of the better quarterbacks in the conference. They have a defense that's bringing back every major contributor and added a handful of potentially key contributors from the transfer portal. This is, a, I mean, they, they 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 were ranked by both our staff and by the conference media as the fifth place team in the West. But that seems about as tenuous a preseason prediction as I think any of us could ever make. Like this like is, I said. This is,
2: any team, I'll say UNLV has a chance to win. I still would say that. I yeah. wouldn't be shocked if any of those teams, but UNLV, can could win it.
0: Yeah, and so I think when you look ahead to 2021, you know that's really the story of these warriors. Is you know you could I think you know, fans on the islands definitely make a case that they're getting overlooked because we know Nevada and their potential first round quarterback in next year's draft. You know we know about the defending champions in the conference. We know about Fresno State's, you know, kind of potentially high-flying offense. We know about the Aztecs' defense. Where are they going to reload? And Hawaii's just kind of hanging around, and not a lot of people are paying attention to them, but they have plenty of reasons to do so. Like they're, they're, There's plenty of reasons for fans to find wherever is going to be streaming on the mainland this year, take part in the Hawaii test week in and week out, and, and keep your eyes
2: on this team. Yeah, they also, Calvin Turner... <laughs> right? Yeah. So their schedule, their schedule's is actually pretty nice. They, uh. Yes, it is. Well, I mean, like, TV wise, I should say, as mm-hmm. well. Because typically, there's a lot of TVAs, but just, um, for home games typically that are only on, like, Spectrum, they actually have one, they have a, two, three games that are on, or three games that are on regular TV, or I guess not Spectrum pay per view. Yeah, Like FS1 and CBS Sports Network, maybe Fox, depending how that goes. Probably not Fox, but just saying, it's a possibility. Because mm-hmm. typically it's like one game they get on that's not Spectrum. Yeah, pretty much. So they there might be another one where like one road game, that is to give them six. But if I were to guess, well, I'm going to guess into it, but like Portland State is going to be Spectrum, obviously. Um, you're going to have, let's see, um, what else? probably the New Mexico State could be that one mainland spectrum game, and then you have, like... Well, they played the Mexico State twice, so who knows? The other, down the down other on one's that.
0: probably going to be on Flow Sports or something like that, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. That, oh, that's true, yeah. yeah. None of Mountain Rescue in mind City. It has to be a league game, but yeah, but it's a pretty good schedule to watch. They played the Aggies twice in New Mexico State, so if Utah State. They have a trio of Aggies, but I like to... Like you mentioned, that one game will probably bring up a lot of defensive coordinator when they play that Nevada game. The best game to beat Nevada, and so that's where we'll get the defense later. I like could typically do, but that's an area where, like you mentioned, who's coming back, transfer's coming in. You mentioned last year was an underrated unit, and it's going to be underrated again, or hopefully not underrated to get where it should be. But let's we'll start with the quarterback because we're going we to get to defense later. Shaver right. Cordero is a – would you count a multi-year starter essentially at this point now? Yeah. What do you for sharing time with for the past couple of years with, with – uh, not Cole Brennan. He's – uh the, um, oh, shoot. Cole McDonald. Ah, Cole McDonald, close enough. Sorry. I, I saw the dreads. I saw saw him getting drafted at yeah, Cole McDonald. So he's the guy again. And we look at the Mountain West, like we say he's one really of the better quarterbacks. I think he's up there, but there's like running backs, there's so many good quarterbacks in the conference. Jay Kaner. Jay Um we have at Hawaii or not Hawaii, but uh Wyoming, whoever starts is a good quarterback. I think Logan Bonner, Utah State should be a good quarterback. There's a lot of good quarterbacks in the conference, maybe from Wilson from New Mexico. But he's up in the top third. There's just quite a few. Nick Starkle, obviously Carson Strong. Duh. Like there's some really good QBs. He might be QB four, but that's still a really good spot to be for what he can do. And what we've seen, what we don't want to see last year, because we seasons almost tell if you have like the Boise State game, where they had to come back. They didn't really get going until the second half when they like not to bring Calvin Turner a time, but when they brought him in even a little bit, the mm-hmm. offense seemed to be a bit better for a certain time. So, but what Cordillero could do is not turn it over. He had 400, a 400-yard 400 passing game when they beat up on New Mexico. He put up over 250 versus Boise State in that comeback where they only lost eight points. He rushes pretty well. But that's the big thing with him. He can't be the leading rusher on this team, and that's what we'll get to later the running back situation. He can scramble and run, but he needs to limit those turnovers and be a complimentary guy if he's going to run. Well, yeah, that's, that's
0: what I was going to ask you is, like, how many, how many other quarterbacks in the conference are going to lead the team in rushing? And I awesome think, difference. and and I think that's where you start to look at kind of the bigger picture, where Cordero, maybe more so than anybody else in the conference, had a a much different burden than a lot of other quarterbacks. You know, in by virtue of you know, moving from the run and shoot to what they call the run and gun, under Todd Graham, and obviously I would imagine that you know new offensive coordinator program may not want him to run quite as often last
2: year. You're waiting. You're telling me you don't want him to have 116 extra attempts on the ground. But
0: it's, but, but then again, it's hard to argue with the results, cause like you look in, in sack yardage aside, you know, you're talking about a guy who averaged like what's, like, even with sacks, it was 4.2 yards per carry. Um, Evan without sacks, on with, yeah, without sacks, you're probably talking about like five, five and a half yards per carry, which is pretty good if you're looking for like a change up that, that if you, if you want to make it like an, an actual 11 on 11 game for defenses, Cordero is an asset in that regard. And in terms of total offense, you know, a lot, like a lot of the other names we just brought up, like, he was actually third in the conference in terms of total offense generated per game. Like, the only two guys that were better than him were Jake Kaner at Fresno State and Carson Strong at Nevada. Makes sense. But that doesn't mean that he's not without some things that he's going to have to work on and that the offense as a whole is going to have to work on. One, I think, like you said, maybe not so many rushing attempts. Um but, you know, more to the point, one of the overarching things that really kind of defined the Warriors season last year to some extent is the fact that they got off some really painfully slow starts mm-hmm. more often than not. And I think, you know, Cordero's splits in particular are really emblematic of that. Um, You know, if you go quarter by quarter, for instance, um in the last three quarters, he was above 61% as far as his completion rate is concerned uh, mm-hmm. in the second, third, and fourth. In the first quarter, though, it was all the the way down to 56.9%. And when it comes to, like, you know, first down performance versus second down performance versus third down performance, like when they needed him to make a play, you know, he really struggled on on those kind of money down situations. You know, he was 45 of 84. Again, if you're not doing your math right now, (laughs) 53.6% on third downs, two two touchdowns, four, four interceptions. So that was when he made most of his mistakes, too. Um, and, and it really, really came down to kind of those third and mid situations to third and long. And, and you can probably look all this up for yourself, but that sort of gives away the game right there where like when they needed a big passing play, it was sort of a dicey proposition as to whether he was going to get it for them. And to kind of drill that point home, one of the things that Bill Connolly brought up in his division preview was the fact that Hawaii only ranked 97th nationally in passing success rate. And, you know, we'll talk about the wide receivers more in a little bit, but Mm -hmm. they're also having to replace three of the top five targets from last year, too. And so I I said last year that Cordero is one of the biggest X factors in the conference. That definitely remains true, because I think if Hawaii is going to make some noise and, and, you know, make moves to steal another division title, he's going to have to make those improvements. Otherwise, it could be you know, another frustrating year where, you know, a, a couple of games that they could win, they end up losing.
2: Yeah, he got sacked 28 times last year. So yeah. What he, and, that's, and that's where the 174 sack yards come from you mentioned before, where he's probably really over five yards a, a carry if he runs. Mm-hmm. He, TDs are good, seven hit, 21 total touchdowns. He's pretty productive, like you mentioned, and what he can do yardage-wise and move the ball. But I think like you mentioned a third and medium, and the, what you mentioned before, kind of the, those passing situations, mm-hmm. it would help if they had a running, a running game because Miles Reed, he was gone basically by the end of the year. Calvin Turner took a step up later on. Maybe he's the guy this year because he was second receiving receptions, third in rushing attempts. So his, like, a hybrid type position. But that's an area that will help Cordero where, yeah, they do have Jared Smart coming back, which is great, but they lose all the other guys. So it'll see where Turner comes in to be able to catch passes. Whether it's out of the backfield or I assume he'll line up everywhere, so it's kind of hard to really know until he sees him. That UCLA game will be quite interesting, mm-hmm. but getting not being sacked, which goes with him scrambling and some of these. I know we clearly know the 116 attempts rushing weren't all designed running plays. Yeah, because any no quarterback does that, but most of them are more because running that many times, you're, it's that's what he's the running gun, not running shoot, but it's still transitioning. But it's not that much of a difference, but. He needs to be a bit more accurate. Six interceptions was pretty good, actually. His mm-hmm. completion percentage is you good, know, but you mentioned how the splits were going. But I think the main thing for him to help him look better in the offense, don't take a sacks, just throw the ball away occasionally because that could limit a couple sacks. Mm-hmm. But having a better running game as well will help those mid, those third and mid situations where you're not in third and seven. Say you're in third and four because or third and three because you ran the ball better earlier on the down. So there's stuff he can do. But also, the offense around him, specifically the running game, can help him and the receivers and everybody not be in a situation where, uh, three and six, they're probably going to pass because running game is non existent mm-hmm. or not good, I should say.
0: Yeah, and to your point, you know, two years ago, the Warriors ended up having a 3.9% sack rate allowed, which was in the top 20 nationally. It was 19th overall. Um, that rate more or less doubled in in 2020. It was all the way up to 7.6%, which ranked 94th. And, you know, of course, because some of that is probably incumbent on on more inconsistent pass protection, which we'll talk more about the line in a minute. But I think, you know, some of that has to come down to the play callers, maybe finding more opportunities to help Cordero get rid of the ball a little quicker. Um which is sort of walking a fine line because you want to be able to present, uh, you know, a downfield threat. And I think Cordero has shown in the past he has the arm to get the ball down the field. So it's about kind of fine tuning the offense just a touch where he doesn't get hit quite so often, especially since, you know, the, the, the options are behind him at this point are, are mostly unproven. Like, you know, that, you know, Boone Abbott has been in the system for a year or two. You know, they do have a very highly touted freshman that they brought in from from Dallas and Braden Shager, but you know Cordero is going to take on a lot of responsibility, and so you know everybody around him is going to have to do their part to just help help him stay on his feet, essentially.
2: Yeah. So what like what about him? Like if it's not Cordero, what's your my concern level is high because it wasn't like a couple years ago when him and McDonald split time. Mm-hmm. If he's not that, we need to, to go to injuries and what all that kind of stuff, but. I think, obviously, Cordero is like one of the most, uh, one of the most, you mentioned most important players on this team and how they can be better. Cause it's like, isn't Braden Shager their freshman backup? He's a I guess? true freshman, yeah. <laughs> true and, freshman and, backup. And Boone so.
0: Abbott is a redshirt freshman,
2: yeah. So maybe the coaches limit those running plays, coach, maybe, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, he's not as well as Cole McDonald would be running out there, going crazy, doing those, rolling, like rolling out, spinning, trying to get those extra yardage, which he, he runs enough, but, that's gonna be a big deal. Of line on like keeping him healthy is probably it's say it's easy to say for any team, but don't get hurt because if he's done, if he's injured at all, we don't know what they have behind him, and we don't. I wouldn't really trust what they have behind him with, including a lack of an inexperienced running game behind him, exactly. And a receiving group that has like Jared Smart and a bunch of other guys who haven't seen a ton of time. So that's a big concern if he if he gets banged up or misses time. But his play, there's only – like if he. I'm going to bring it up again all the time, but just a touch better here and there, it's going to be good. Just give him mm-hmm. a couple of sacks, have fewer running attempt, uh, design burning tips for him, and he could be – like his ceiling, I don't think he could be the best quarterback, but I wouldn't be – this would not – it surprise you if you were named second-team quarterback at the end of the season? I think that's a no, ceiling, wouldn't. perhaps. Yeah, he, I mean he, he he's, be a, he's a
0: very good quarterback, and I think you know last I think you know, he could be one of the primary beneficiaries of just having had a normal off season to prepare, because I think all things considered he he more than held his own given the unusual circumstances of playing in a pandemic,
2: new system as well, the new coach. Even though he played played before, he had playing time, but yeah, it's a new system.
1: Exactly. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans.
2: After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas.
0: And I think one thing that will definitely help To kind of transition to talking more about the running backs. Obviously, Turner's the headliner. Like, he uses an instant hit almost immediately. Um, you know, as a guy who could basically do it all, you know, he could catch passes out of the backfield. He could return kicks. Um, and he he actually was the team's leading receiver last year. 33 catches, 546 yards and six touchdowns. Mm -hmm. But he may not have to be the guy. In order for them to be a really dangerous offense, because like what's
2: he going to play? What position? He's going to play both like last year. I mean, like so any, I technically, I think
0: he's a tailback,
2: but he's yeah, not but the he kind of tailback that you
0: Exactly. Well, yeah, yeah that's because he's a former quarterback.
2: I know, but I mean, like, any? I'm not to interrupt, but we'll get to like any all conference put him in all purposes, such like Athlon. I, where did we put them? Running? Do we stick him in running back as well?
0: Uh, yeah,
2: but he could be like and enhanced Ronnie Rivers almost because he's actually run lines up a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. So continue with your thought, but he's, to me, the most interesting and the could most likely be the most fun player to watch this year.
0: Yeah, and, and behind him, you know, Day Hunter, we didn't see a lot of him last year. He only, I think, had 25 carries, 26 carries. Um, actually, a little more than that, 46, excuse me. But, you know, he scored four touchdowns. He ended up having a really big bowl game, which I think gives you sort of an indication of where the offense wants to go. Um, and you know, he had averaged a healthy four and a half yards per carry. I imagine that he's going to get more work. Um, and then beyond that, you know, I think the next guy on the depth chart that I would be really interested in seeing how they incorporate him is Dedrick Parson, who came in from the transfer portal from another FCS team, Howard, mm-hmm. um, where you know he, I believe he ran for like 1,500 yards over 20 career games with 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 Howard, and so that's not nothing. You know he was an All Conference performer on the FCS level, um, multiple years in a row. You know he knows how to score touchdowns, and, and at at five eight and 205 pounds, he makes for a really interesting contrast to the other guys in the backfield too. Like he can, you know, be that bowling ball kind of guy. You know more like a to- a Tawa to- to- kind of guy, where you know, they don't, if they don't necessarily want Turner to like run between the tackles, then Hunter and Parson could be, you know, the duo that ends up doing most of that heavy lifting. And I think if they want to be more balanced, you know, both of those guys could be really integral to this team's
2: success. Yeah. So with the running game, you don't want Cordero to be the guy. So what number would you be comfortable with like your top two rushers, Matt? Like 1400 yards combined? Is that too much? Too little in a 12 game season? Was like three I think something? If
0: you, if you think of that, I'm on like a per carry basis, then I think the absolute minimum has to be like four and a half. And I think, you know, between, between Turner, Hunter, Parson, and then whoever else kind of breaks into the running back committee, I'm kind of expecting those three are probably going to lead the way. But I think as a whole, if you can get to four and a half, that's probably right around where you want to be. Because I think there once, once you add your last girl, year? on top of that, you know, then I think you're you're likely to be a lot closer to five, and that makes you a potentially dangerous offense.
2: Yeah, because they're at four point last year, and that's you get to four and a half is super easy. You know what I mean? Yeah. With the sack, with the sack yardage,
0: and, and I think if and if you look at what they actually accomplished by some of the more advanced metrics too, I think you know we talk a lot about like regression one way or the other to or from the mean, but I think you know, what Hawaii was able to accomplish last year was. Definitely within the realm of being repeatable. So, like, by line yards per carry, for example, they were 40th in the country, 2.79 per per carry. Uh, you know, opportunity rate, they were a shade outside the top 50. Power success rate, they were exactly 50th. Stuff rate, they were in the top 30. Only 15% of the time they got pushed backwards for, for zero or negative yardage. And so I think, you know, that in tandem with the offensive line, which, again, they're going to be replacing a couple starters there. But even the guys that they're going to be bringing into the fold, as, as what I, who I would assume to be the new starters on that unit, they got a lot of playing time last year as well. And so I think, you know, rather than talking about an Air Force team, for example, where I think they're the most they're the most kind of glaring example of they were so good last year and they're replacing so much, how are they going to do it again? I think Hawaii's situation on that front is a lot more manageable. I hope so, right? You would hope so. But I, th- I think that it is.
2: You, what's what's your confidence level in that being manageable?
0: Uh, I would say, you know, I would say a comfortable 7. 7
2: out of 10, I assume? Yeah. <laughs> if, you
0: want, if you want to talk, like, you know, in terms of expected points added per play, you know, in, in terms of, like, rushing EPA per play, they were 19th overall, according to CFBGraphs.com. I think it's reasonable to expect that they will be a top 40 rushing team at worst with both, you know, who they have coming back at running back and along the offensive line.
2: So if they go 4.5 yards per for play, that puts them better than San Jose State and San Diego State at 14. Yeah. It's, you it's think that's a, a realistic goal. It's doable. Yeah. Okay. So if they don't do that, does it, how much do you hinge on their seat? Like I'll answer this too, but like, is this the most important part of the offense, the running game, to have more I, success? I think so.
0: Yeah. Because, and, and I think a lot of it is maybe going to be more incumbent on the offensive line kind of being a little more consistent. Cause like you talked about the fact that Cordero took a lot of hits last year, right? You know, he ran maybe more than they wanted him to, took more sacks definitely than they did two years ago. And, you know, now they're going to have to do something to fix that. You know, having to replace, um, you know, uh, who is it that moved on? <laughs> now I'm trying to remember the name and I can't. Right. Um, back? No, along the offensive line.
2: Oh, I don't have the partners. I know they uh, had Oh, yeah. So Michael Lattice, that was one. They're I'm sorry.
0: Uh, And, uh, Taga Tua That was the other one that I was thinking of. Um, but again, you know, the guys that are coming in, you know, Michael Van Vanterpool started the majority of the year at tackle. You know, he's probably going to be set. You know, along the interior, at worst, you know, Cole yeah. Laval. He's healthy. Like we know, he can be a difference maker at center. Yeah. Um And they've got depth behind that. You know, offensive line too. So like, you know, Laval, Banterpool, and then of course Gene Pryor is back for one more go. You know, Manning's yeah. still around. Solo by Poole is still around. So like, there's still plenty of opportunity for this offensive line to be an above average offensive line. Um, You know, I think uh, according to Hawaii's own media guide, they've got 111 ca- career combined starts coming back, which is a lot more than other people can say in the conference, and that could be a potentially big deal for them if they clean if they clean things up. Watch out! I guess is what I'm saying overall.
2: So let's get receivers in. Okay. So, I guess he's technically in slot back. That's his technical starting position on the depth chart. Mm-hmm. They have. So, Jared Smart, who coming back for one more year, who mm-hmm. he had a couple years ago when you had all the other receivers, were what did they have, what did they want to have, 3,000-yard guys just about? They tried to really hard, yeah. but not quite. <laughs> but he, that group, depending how much Turner – because that's the weird thing about their group. Like, okay, they're turning Jared Smart as one of the better receivers in the conference. They have Turner who came on late, but how much is he going to catch the ball? Like, that's – his status is – I, it's hard to say, so I, I don't want to count on him too much to be a, a key wide receiver. Because, but he could be a guy where think of like um, John Hightower, Boise State, kind of like that a little bit, mm-hmm. but a little bit more running the ball, I would say, than Hightower did a couple years ago. But I don't know who else is going to be because like Rico Busi's gone; he actually transferred, I believe, Good to play one more year somewhere else. He has, he's, he's, with P- he's with the Pittsburgh Steelers now. Oh, I thought he tried thought one guy Paul. No, he was an undrafted free agent. HM. I'm thinking of the guy from North Texas, or is that him too? That's the guy from North regardless, Texas. Regardless, he's not on the team. I thought somebody transferred. He 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 transferred to the NFL. Mm-hmm. But the guy you're there, talking about like, Melky Stovall. Ah, yes, that's what, okay. Yes, that's I thought to mention next. He's not on the team anymore either. So, like those guys, you're replacing at least those couple guys, 60 catches right there. You, I just don't know who it's gonna be. And with Turner, like maybe Jared Smart will go back and get like 100 like 100 catches. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think that's out of the the realm of possibility for what he's done. Because you look at him, like in 2019, he had 87 catches. And he was like the number three receiver. with Yeah. (laughs) And so him getting 100 catches, Calvin Turner getting, let's just say, it's 50, a conservative number for him if he's playing running back and wide receiver.
1: It's only a few more.
2: Because he had 33 catches in nine games. They played a lot of games, but maybe 50, not many more, with four more games. So you have those two guys. The debt's issue, but I don't have a problem because what Cordero can do, like he threw the ball to everybody last year. At four was it five guys had thirty catches on this team each? You had Smart with um thirty six, you had Turner with thirty three, those guys mentioned Marquis Stoball thirty one, you had Rico Busey with thirty one, they spread the ball pretty evenly, but I think they really need a guy to step up, which is going to be smart to get that eighty plus catches.
0: Here's here's the biggest red flag for this offense at least in my opinion, are they going to identify anybody who scares defenses down the field? Because, you know, Turner, yes, he averaged 16 and a half yards per catch, but that was, you know, <laughs> like a, a, a huge swing uh, pass. Yeah, a lot of swing passes, a lot of yards after the catch. And, and when you look at the other three receivers that you just named, Smart, Smart Busey, and Stovall, none of them cracked nine yards a catch. And enough. that's gotta change. And so I don't necessarily think that depth is going to be a problem. I think we just need to see more from some of the guys we saw at least if you're looking at the stat sheet, played rather sparingly last year. So like I look case in case in point, Nick Martner. You know, mm-hmm. last year eleven catches, hundred and eighty eight yards, that's a seventeen yards per catch average and, and a touchdown. You know, is he gonna step up and, and take a spot? Because like he's He's only got, like, what, 20 career catches, but he's a huge target. He's, like, 6'6 and 190 pounds. Hopefully you know, more than 190 now. <laughs> yeah, so maybe he's, like, a big red zone target for them um, who who can play on the outside and make 50-50 catches that nobody else can defend. Um, or maybe you know, a, a retro freshman like Jonah Panoke, who played a little sparingly last year, or Aaron Cephas, who came over from Rice as kind of, like, a sneaky... You know, dark horse pick to come in and be that, you know, maybe number one, number two guy only had one catch last year. Maybe he steps up and plays a little more. But even beyond those, those guys, what's interesting to me is the fact that they went out and recruited a couple of big tight ends as well from the transfer portal. They brought in Caleb Phillips from Stanford. They brought in Colby Wyatt from Georgia. And now all of a sudden, between those two guys and, and, uh, you know, who was that thing? I have Jonah Lulu. At tight end, you know this is starting to look like an offense that wants to be able to do a lot of different things out of some very select looks. So, like maybe they line up with two tight ends, but they're throwing down the seam more often than you would expect them to. But I mean, when you've got two or three potentially big tight ends on the interior, um, you know even Cephas, like I said, is, is, he's six foot four. Marner's six six, and and Turner and or Hunter in the backfield. You've got a potential for, like, a few different Swiss Army Knives who can do a lot of things that, that defenses wouldn't expect. And so I think we haven't – I'm guessing we haven't seen the fullest evolution of what of what Todd and Bo Graham want to do.
2: Totally. Re- it's I'm year, really year one and a seeing,
0: half. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of a year one and a half. And so I'm really interested to see how it all unfolds. It's just a matter of, like I said, ha- having those, those veteran guys especially – you know, being able to prove it a little bit more because we've seen flashes. Now we got to see it week in and week out.
2: Yeah. And also remember the new coaches, two new coordinators. Yes. So that's a change as well. It's going to be his system, but you don't have like with the receivers coaches go go offense, kind of mixing that in. But Calvin Turner, they're going to keep some of that because they have him to do everything. Like, like stick with Turner. Like, he's going to get be a guy like, we mentioned through passes. He's going to get end around. He's going to get jet sweeps. He's going to get the quick pass. And maybe do like some sort of a reverse where he's in motion. They hike top they, t- they hiked him directly, and he th- tosses it to some other guy. or running back going the other way. There's going to be unique elements, and maybe that's how they get the downfield threat going. Because if they do it once or twice, a turner going in motion, and getting the ball, that will could cause DBs to bite occasionally. Like, oh, he's going to get the ball, take that step forward, and then somebody gets a go gets downfield. So mm-hmm. there's going to be ways to go downfield. But you're right; they need to find a way downfield because you can't have. Like you mentioned, everybody under ten yards of carry and Calvin Turner getting ten, twelve, fifteen plus yards per carry, but when they're just quick passes and he just takes a, a sidestep and gets past the first defender. Yeah. That and maybe the tight ends can help with that too, because if the tight ends can take over that nine ish yard over the middle type stuff, yeah, they can, can, can
0: rediscover that downfield element that yeah. like was sort of they've hitting had, this last year.
2: Yeah, they've had it years before with Cole McDonald just chucking it downfield and so Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's that's a big thing. So what about so are we anything else offense, or is it time for defense? No, I think we can make the transition. So defense, like I said, we're going back to that Nevada game, Matt. They, the scheme they did against the Wolfpack was amazing. Like um, Carson Strong was, what I think, 21-25 in that game. They didn't mm-hmm. get a ball downfield. Romeo Dubs didn't have a 50-yard catch. They, were, they won the game as well. They kept everything underneath. So the scheme they do is great, but then they also have talent. Like you mentioned, they bring back... I think was it ten starters if I'm correct.
0: I believe there's a chance that you know when they pull out their week zero starting lineup, they could be having all eleven starters back from last year.
2: Basically everybody in their defense. Yeah, I would say to miss like look at the look at the points they gave up. Wasn't great. Like they they gave up thirty three to a New Mexico team. It's not great. Forty to Boise State. Thirty four to San Diego State. Like thirty. Give up thirty five to San Jose State. It's fine, but too many. The Fresno over thirty points per game. It got to lower that number. Mm-hmm. Get, and. The Nevada game is a blueprint of what they can do, how they can scheme and coach. Now they get the scheming. So DC does return, which is good, unlike the offense. But all these guys coming back, they played nine games. not Like we mentioned a just because you, you played four games like CSU or five, six, seven games like Boise State or San Jose State with seven, no, or whatever. Playing mm-hmm. nine games and you bring everybody back is a huge advantage over these teams that played only a handful of games last year. And yes. So it's one of the times they'll say, hey, being out there in the field, not that they, they were still pretty good. They're still good at times. Actually, they weren't, they weren't consistent. But having those same guys back and being reasonably good for part for and spurts the season, at least don't be nice and say that, it's going to go a long way for them to be even better, to be – they're not going to be near the top of the defense in the conference because when you're playing San Jose State, Nevada, Fresno State, you're going to get burned for yards. So their defense may not look good overall, but it'll, just because of those are going to put numbers up against any defense. Now,
0: see, I don't know if I totally agree with that assessment. No, no, because what, and, and again and again, because it really comes down to that whole mixed bag and you know kind of assessment that I threw out there for for last year. You know, in terms of like points per drive allowed, for example, they, they were 51st on defense last year. They were actually better at at, at, at uh, you know, preventing opponents from scoring on the average drive than the offense was. Um, You know, when it comes to available yards given up per drive, same thing. You know, they were 65th in terms of available yards allowed versus the offense, which was 86th. And so a lot of that comes down to, you know, when you really kind of get into the numbers. On the aggregate, from 2019 to 2020, they were a half yard better per play, which is a huge step in the right direction considering that they were – they had been, you know, largely unpredictable on that side of the ball for most of their tenure in the Mountain West. And that means, that means, in my opinion, that Victor Santa Cruz, the coordinator, deserves a huge amount of credit for that Yeah,
2: six, Just for reference, 6.9 last year before, 5.7 last year.
0: The problem that still exists, even despite, you know, everybody coming back, is they got pushed around a lot up front. And kind of going back to what Bill Connolly put out there in his preview for a moment, you know, he noted that, you know, Hawaii was 31st when it came to passing success rate allowed, which, you know, if you're more believer in the traditional metrics, you go by the fact that you know they allowed uh, the third best, uh, excuse me, the second best opponent's passer rating in the conference. You know, they led the conference in interceptions. Um, and I think they were number two as well in terms of opponent's completion rate. So I think all of those numbers kind of go hand in hand. But they were also 106th when it came to defending the run and their success rate. And so, you know, for as 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 you know, solid if 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 anything as the offensive line was last year, defensive line got pushed around a lot. You know, they were 80th in terms of overall sack rate. They were 113th by power success rate. So in those short yarded situations, they were getting beat way more often than they should have been. Uh, and they were also allowing opponents to get to the second level a lot. So their, their opportunity rate was over 50%. It was 109th nationally. And so I think with everybody coming back, you know, the biggest improvement is going to have to start up front with those guys, you know, Justice to Vi, Blessment to Allah. Um, and even, you know, the new guys that they brought in as well. Like we talked about the two, the pair tight ends, you know, they brought in a pair of really intriguing defensive line transfers as well. You know, Zachias McKinney from Oklahoma, Peter Tonga from Utah. You know, those are, you know, two big bodied guys right there. And then they also brought in Ote Vega from the Juco ranks. It's just going to, they, they need more from the defensive line in particular. If they're going to take, again, like, like we just talked about with the wide receivers helping them you know, rediscover explosiveness, you know, if the defensive line can kind of shore up how disruptive they were from play to play, that's the other thing, in my opinion, that's going to make the biggest difference for this team in 2021.
2: Yeah, totally. Um, I think also what they are 100 in or they 105th in rushing the ball last year, rush defense. Yeah, this year.
0: Yeah, and that that's more to the point. I going to say, yeah, and and it, because you know we've seen kind of flashes of, of performance out of some of those returning guys. Like Ta'ala has been kind of a quality big body dude in the interior. I don't think I mentioned Jonah Oluwulu, who's got 11 tackles for loss over the last couple of years. So they've got guys who can perform up front. It's just a matter of like kind of that whole unit putting it together, especially when it comes to stopping the run.
2: Yeah, and then, again, it's also – I know you mentioned, like, well, they can't stop somebody, or it's, you kind of disagreed with my assessment where the people move the ball against them. It's still, like, they did better, but they're still at the bottom of the conference in yards per play allowed. But you're mm-hmm. right, if they could slow down – they're rushing attack a little bit, but look who they're playing. They have, Nevada has a good running back. Um, they'll play, even though know, UNLV is not great, they have Charles Williams. Mm-hmm. Fresno State has Ronnie Rivers. They face all these running games. So I'm going to measure their success where they get a little bit better yards per play, not total. I'm like, total yards is a garbage stat anyways. Who cares? We want to see yards per, per play. play. Per drive. Yeah. Yeah. Per play, per drive. Like if a team rushes for 500 yards, but it takes a like a hundred carries, eh, whatever. Not just a, a wild example, but my point being. Yeah, i get what you're saying. Where if it's yeah, it's like who cares? Like, you want to you don't want to give up points. Clearly simple and per play basis. Like when you play army navy or teams running the ball or passing the ball exponentially more than their counterparts for on offense. Just don't give up the points in the big yard. That's fine. Let them throw it, but it's like the Carson Strong Nevada game. Twenty-one and twenty-six was great, but he was through for, like two hundred and thirty yards or something. Nothing mm-hmm. amazing. So that's what you want defense to do. And then let's go to linebackers. They have one of the best in the conference. Yeah, with um. With their whole with their whole group, they, it's like their Darius Mount, Moussao, and they have every starter coming back as well. Like Kiro Bethley, all these other guys. During my Pritchards there too. Like they're all in our top fifty. I don't think Bethley is, but that area is probably the strength of the defense. But they also need to help with that rushing attack because defensive line needs to beef up, but linebackers need to step up as well to get sacks and get TFLs in there as well to get the gap and make those type of moves. And that's well, well. <laughs> so. Let me just
0: say, do try to pin that. Don't try to pin that on, on Muasau though. No, that no, guy, no, I'm not that just in general. But just I think, yeah, I, I think Give in general, mind. like, if if the defensive line can improve, then that will enable the linebackers just kind of on on an average basis to do more than simply clean up when, once the running back is already four or five yards downfield. Um, and I think, you know, one thing they're going to have to wrestle with is maybe trying to identify a little more depth, because, like, you know, obviously is a keeper and he's the anchor. Pritchard, however, was actually in a car accident last month. Um, yeah, and last I checked, he's out indefinitely. So, like, if, if he can't play, you know, is Pene Pivihi going to be back to 100%? You know, is a guy like Isaac Tufaga, who was a transfer in from Oregon State uh, last year, you know, he's, is he going to be able to step up? Because, you know, I don't – I mean, as good as Moisau is, I don't think he's going to be able to do it alone. And so, like, that's I, – I think I would agree with your assessment. Like, if the linebacker unit is generally stronger but I think it is maybe more prone to to issues of depth than the other two units on this on this uh, defense.
2: So, it, like, yeah, that's going to be a thing. Like, mm. well, Most how, like, out, but it's, yeah, sort, it's of, sort of like with injury. Yeah. I don't want to call it a red
0: flag, but I would call it a yellow flag for sure.
2: If Pritchard's health doesn't recover enough time, or uh, who knows how long it'll take for him to be back playing, to be healthy, to be his guy. Maybe it could be a thing where the backup's in there for a couple of games. He comes in mid-season or early c- part of the conference season for a couple of games, and then oh, this other guy plays well, said so more depth there. But that is you're right. When you look at the backups there, you, the playing time isn't really showing. Yeah, well, it's not. <clears the throat> experience is lot even though they played nine games last year. You yeah. have this is a you unit know, that could be the best in the field. And losing Pritchard for however many games or whenever we get a status update on him will be will give us more more. Of, Transparency of how good or not so good this unit could be. Even if he's not there, Moissel's still good enough to do things. If he's getting doubled or the defensive scheme away from him, it ha- other guys who are playing, Pritchard or not, or somebody else, has to take advantage of the opportunity of, of offense is saying, We'll let you beat me, but not this good guy. Really good <clears> guy. And so that's kind of what the mindset might need to be for the guys. Whoever's going to take over that spot, probably more than one player will get a crack at being that other starting linebacker. Yeah. But overall it's it sucks. You get it gets a car accident, it's it's a pain in the butt, it's any injury sucks, but even that's really good especially if there's no update. But so we get to the secondary, they did bring in a couple transfers. I'm so hyped for, for this unit. But it's already really good even with the transfers that have come in, and you know what I mean? It, course, was really is, good, it was
0: really good and now it and now they are more experienced and they're also deeper.
2: Yeah, deeper with the new guys coming in. So when we and then with their look who they're playing, like again, Nevada passes the ball a lot. San Jose State passes the ball a lot. Fresno passed the ball decent amounts. So there's some good chances within conference, not even conference play, but division play to make some noise to pull off an upset because they're good enough to slow down against whoever they're playing against. So all, all conference guys like Cortez Davis. Yeah. Who, let's I forget let's, where he's let's, let's, let's be clear. Let's he's, the best,
0: he's the best cornerback in the conference. In the conference? Yes. I
2: will totally agree with you on that because he is that good.
0: And and you mentioned Corey Bethley uh, a minute ago as one of those guys who plays kind of the linebacker safety hybrid kind of position. I think Hawaii technically calls it the spur position. Um, But, you know, he's maybe one of the more underappreciated guys over the last couple of years where he's he can do a little bit of everything. You know, he can come in and stop the run. He can defend against the pass. um, But, you know, he's not the kind of guy who has to do it all alone either. Like Quentin Frazier was solid last year. You know, Cameron Lockridge was solid last year. Michael Washington was solid last year. Um, you know, Donovan Dalton was solid. You know, we've talked about uh, units that don't really have any weak links, and this secondary is one of them. And they also brought in a trio of transfers who could potentially be high impact dudes. You know, Chima Azuno could step in and start opposite. You know, he could he start one of the safety positions uh, opposite Eugene Ford. You know, Hugh Nelson coming in from Georgia could. Potentially start opposite Davis, uh, you know, Soul Turner's in from from Baylor. So there's a lot of exciting possibilities, and and you have that sort of mix between veteran talent, established veteran talent, you know, and young guys behind them who are going to get playing time, and have already proven that they are, you know, that they that they can uh, prove their mettle. I guess you would say mm. it's going to be really hard to throw against this unit again this year. I would say.
2: And that's why we say they're predictive fifth. Yeah, We'll see how it goes. The <laughs> like,
0: secondary is going to have a lot to say about that.
2: Yeah, because you look at like overall what they, what they do, like you mentioned David, like number one guy, Davis, the amount of, like again, they played a unit that's already good, played the most games last year, or one of the higher, not the most, but up there in nine games. When you look at what they did for 12 interceptions, led the conference by far. I know pretty game. Quarterback rating, second in the conference. Yards per game, third in the conference, so it's whatever yards per game, it's okay. But yards per play, only, like, only, I believe, from Craig San Diego State was better by a full yard, which is amazing, mm-hmm. but they were 6.7 yards per attempt, and that's really good. You yes. know what I mean? Yes, they led exactly. league Also, I think, passing percentage allowed as well, or, sorry, Boise State was slightly better, but 55% really good, top two in the conference, so, and are they going to be better? If they are, they'd be the best passive defense. If they
0: conference. are, watch out, yeah.
2: Like, there's no, I don't have a qualm saying this could be or should be the best passive defense in the country. Or not, country, like, the like
0: we, we should be talking about this unit in the same way that we talk about, like, for example, um, you know, Hawaii's, or not Hawaii, Wyoming's defensive line, or, you know, Nevada's wide receivers, or, you know, the, the units that we generally think are both deep and talented. I think so you know, know, maybe, usually. Maybe, maybe that's uh, you know, a byproduct of Hawaii not getting as many eyeballs from week to week because, you know, they play so late. But these guys are worth staying up for. All
2: right, is it more Calvin Turner time? Returning kicks? Can we gush over Turner some more, Matt? Is that okay? I mean, I, I think we could,
0: um, but I do want to, you know, give a little bit of shine to the rest of the specialists at least. I, um, I- <laughs> because, because, yeah, I think, you know, they they were pretty solid all the way around. Like, obviously, Turner is the headliner, and I would expect him to be, you know, an all-conference type of returner again this year. But, you know, Matthew, Matthew Shipley was...
2: Remember?
0: Uh, uh, yeah. And, and you know, Matthew Shipley, the kicker, was, you know, he was okay last year, only four, uh, 8 of 14 on field goal tries, but he was, I believe, perfect on extra points, which is, you know, not nothing. And so maybe if he takes a step forward, you know Adam Stack at punter was he was also pretty solid. You know averaged over 43 yards a kick. So maybe he's not that kind of like top tier talent, but he was also you know I would say a, a, a notch or two better than some of the punters that we've seen in past Hawaii years too. So it's it's definitely a unit that I would say all the way around is, is even with Turner maybe average at worst with the potential to be a, a one of those game changing units where. Like if Stack can just add you know another half yard per punt, and, and Shipley can improve to like let's say seventy five percent on his field goal yeah. tries, you know those are the kinds of incremental improvements that can help them go from being like a, a potential five hundred team to a team that flirts with like eight or nine wins. But we'll have to wait and see.
2: Yeah, it's always a couple yards here or there makes like, makes a big difference. So let's get to the schedule. They have a unique schedule because they played New Mexico State twice. Home, a rare hope. games overall. Thirteen games overall, the home and home. So, what do we? They start off with UCLA though at the Rose Bowl. That's an afternoon kick on ESPN, so it's a twelve thirty p.m. local time out there. The Bruins were picked um, fourth, I want to say. Shoot, in the Pac twelve South is USC. All
0: right, they were probably ahead they, of Arizona, and that's about it.
2: Yeah, had USC, Utah, Arizona State. It's number Did you got the the Marti. Robinson, no.
0: Dorian, Dorian Robinson Thompson.
2: What? A, <laughs> bit before on the San Diego State show, mm-hmm. but they actually, like you mentioned, they with Chip Kelly coming into his third year actually did reasonably well. Like there were times throughout season last year where they looked to be a decent football team, like a competitive Pac-12 football team, which wasn't the case the year before. So this won't be. This is a game where I, I wish I thought I had the line in front of me. Do you have the odds in front of you for this particular game? Unfortunately, um, I don't. I thought I had it, but I know Bruins are going to be favored. But like last year, they lost to USC, who wasn't that great, but it was close. Lost to Stanford, who was bad in double overtime. They did beat Arizona State. They almost beat Oregon. They lost a good Colorado team, the opener. So they played pretty well against the Pac-12. They weren't really blown out in any game. They were right there. So they... Like, not to say it, but they they were like a two, touch, two, two touchdowns away from being undefeated. Mm-hmm. But they lose to a bad Stanford team, and then that's the only bad loss they really had, and that was double overtime. Mm-hmm. So this is a team with Thompson-Robinson, what he can do. He can move the ball, he can pass the ball, threw over 300 yards twice last year, but he also runs as well because he led the team rushing against that Colorado game, and he's one of the, he's almost like a Cordero-type guy, a dual-threat guy who will run a good amount. He ran that's going to be something to look out for. A defense line needs to keep him in check. Mm-hmm. He needs to just not pass it off like their top rushers in the NFL. Demi like, with the Browns lost a couple of guys here or there. So the running game might be okay because they do have Britton Brown coming back. But this team doesn't scare me to say UCLA is not going to win. I mean, me, Hawaii is not going to win.
0: Yeah, it strikes me as kind of a 50 50 kind of game. And I think it's going to come down to which offense is more consistent. But I think, if, but I think yeah. you, if you were asking me right now, I I definitely see it as a close game one way or the other. But I do have UCLA winning this one.
2: Okay, do you want? Here's the odds. This is wild. On June 30th, um, nine point line in favor of UCLA. Okay. It it increased to favor UCLA even more. July 21st. So we're recording here. What was it August 8th or something? Yeah. So a couple weeks ago, it increased. Do you want to guess what it increased?
0: is it like 14 and a half now.
2: 17.
0: Oh, so take Hawaii, man.
2: Give me give me Hawaii forever. Give me
0: those points.
2: I'm going upset here. Okay. I don't it's here's the thing. Travel's on issue. It's an opener, so it's one game. It's a reasonably short trip to a 3-hour flight to the, to the Rose Bowl. I don't trust UCLA. I think this will be a close game. This game's going to be a lot of points. So whatever the over is, take the over. But 17 points. Remember, in, in the Houston bowl game, I don't remember. I thought you by double digits. Mm-hmm. Give me outright victory Hawaii at this point. Okay. Just saying. Okay. But, but that's not shocking, is it? No. Yeah. Good. Perfect. Okay. All right. They got Portland State. Do you have an FCS minute or do we need to move on and skip that today?
0: No, um I think I could talk a little bit about the Vikes or the Vicks. I have I actually have no idea how they pronounce it. I know they they it's it's V I K. No, yeah, I know that, but on on the hashtag on Twitter and stuff is like the uh it's V I K S. And I don't know if it's Vikes, like Minnesota Vikes, which usually has an E. Anyway. They didn't play they didn't play last year. Um they didn't play in the spring either. They had I think a single road game against Montana. Um and they're having to replace a lot of potential impact players on both sides of the ball. So like while they do have, you know, kind of a sneaky underrated FCS quarterback coming back in Davis Alexander, who's probably going to go down as one of the better signal callers in the program's history. You know, they have, you know, a first team wide receiver coming back uh, in Emmanuel Dyke Bay. They have all their uh, linebackers coming back too, but they're just having to replace a lot of weapons on the offense in particular. And I think that given Hawaii's obvious strengths, especially in the secondary, Seems like the Warriors are going to win this one in on a the walk.
2: They totally should. And then they have Oregon State back on the road. Oregon State's improving, but they're not a team that's overly great. Like, they are pretty good last year. They, they're still not on the, the drag- way back, yeah. Yeah, they're not dregs, but they're also not going to win the Pac-12 North because you have Cal that's pretty good. They're better than Stanford, I would say. They're Washington State. Who knows how good they're going to be with Rolovich out there when he's – shenanigans, he's pulling, but they, here, like last year, they almost beat Utah. They nearly, they beat Cal, who's a pretty good team. Um, they were within a touchdown of Oregon, of Washington. I remember the upstate They beat Oregon. Oregon. Yeah, I was getting there. I'm getting there. But then they also lost to Stanford, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, That's I mean the, the story, story of 2020,
0: they, they were 1-3 in three in one-score games, so they were a little yeah. bit unlucky, but they're also bringing back 84% of their overall production from last year. So that means, Everybody you know, two pieces yeah. like, like Tristan Gebbia, who, you know, we mentioned the upset against the Ducks a second ago. Um, he was knocked out at the very end of that game and missed the entire rest of the year. But, you know, assuming he's got a clean spill of health, he's coming back. You know, they've got a potential all conference linebacker on our defense and Avery Roberts. And so I think all things considered, you know, they've got some, some individual talents that are pretty good. You know, on both sides of the ball. And it makes it a really good litmus test for both sides. But, give, but given that, I think even despite being on the road, I like Hawaii to win this one.
2: I do as well. It'll be close. Like me saying them going through, you know, I likely they're probably gonna split UCLA Oregon State. I have them winning both. But I think they'll probably split one of those, but I'm gonna go, they'll win both because the opener I think I just kinda pump for Hawaii what they can do. And fifth yeah. place, ooh, tough. I think we'll get into conference play here, but let's go through the rest of the non-conference really quick. Well, the rest of the non-conference is just New
0: Mexico State. (laughs) Yeah. They're going to win both of those games.
2: Right? We already talked about the last time versus New Mexico. So go listen to that. But also, Aggies, these have Aggies, have a lot of work to do. Oh, yeah. Again, they played a couple FCS games last year, Went one and one, lost to Charleston State, beat Dixie State by a little bit. It's going to be a rough year for them, but let's just go victories and move on, right? Yeah. League play, their schedule sets up pretty good for the home teams. Like the home games they have are the tough ones, San Jose State at home, Fresno State at home, San Diego State at home. So those three are really good teams that come to islands. See, I, I, think, you're, I think you're burying the lead, though,
0: because look, it's those first three games in particular where we're going to know really quickly whether they're, whether they're a real contender or not. Because you mentioned San Jose State and you mentioned Fresno State. They also go yeah. to in Nevada. Nevada.
2: Yeah, yeah, well, I was going their home games, but yeah, those are those could be the three best. Those are the three best teams in the West Division probably. That right that them. might be the most
0: important three game stretch, in conference game stretch anywhere in the conference this year, because you know how Hawaii does in that stretch is going to affect a lot of other things.
2: Spoiler: zero and three for me in that stretch. Oof.
0: Yeah, I mean, I hate to say it because we are. I mean, but if you listen to other all, all of our other podcasts to this point. You probably already know that I have Hawaii going on with 3 in that stretch, too.
2: But when you look at who they play, out of those three, I think Nevada's a loss for sure, even though it happened last year. I don't think it's going to happen again. And plus, it's on the road in Reno. Um, I think their best chance for a win is San Jose State, because, again, I think they'll be good, but I'm not 100% confident they'll be as good as last year. Fresno just has too much offense, and there'll be a lot of points. But that game for Fresno, conversely, like we mentioned, defense is something to be desired a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that could be a big shootout as well. Like, out of those three, I could see them, like, if they were to beat San Jose State and Fresno State, I wouldn't be overly surprised. I just getting all three of those is, even two of those would be very difficult. Like, they're talent see, wise. I think,
0: I think I would, I would probably put the Bulldogs as maybe the most likely win in that stretch, just because of those three teams, the Bulldogs are the ones with the most kind of lingering offensive line questions in particular. Too, yeah, so right. kind of going back to to what we want to see from Hawaii as far as taking a step forward and being more disruptive up front. You know, we already saw them beat the Bulldogs last year too. And that's another thing to keep in mind. That's true. It's 0-3. Then
2: they get, um, it eases up a little bit because it's Utah State on the road. That's a, that's a trick to get to. Remember a couple years ago, they were freaking late to that game. Like there were flight issues or something. They had to, Flew into Ogden Airport instead of Salt Lake or something like that. Yeah. Oh, but I, I, they're going to be Utah State because yeah, they have Logan Bonner fine. They have um, Rice there playing defense fine. They're, I don't think Utah State can get it done because first year with Blake Anderson and what their question marks are at a lot of different positions. Like their defense has a few guys that are pretty good, but overall there's not enough to stop the Hawaii team. So I don't. I think that's going to be a victory for the uh, Warriors.
0: Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you there.
2: Aztecs, not going to happen. Sorry. It's at home. It could happen, but I don't see it happening.
0: So do you have idea? that one as a Hawaii loss? Yes, I do. Is that Same. shocking? Same.
2: No. I will put a caveat. Running game needs to be healthy for Aztecs to win, but that's like week 10 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And a million things can change, like last week, Greg Bell. But I, you so like we really quickly, like defensive line has rushing issues. If they're running attack for Aztecs or even 85% of what they were before, and they're not going to throw the ball, and so the DBs are almost neutralized in that game where they're not throwing as much. So if, if it's going to be run heavy, that's why I think Aztecs will get it. CSU, no, they're not there yet. Wyoming will be the toughest one the end of the year. that will be a great game at home, or excuse me, at Hawaii. But the Rams' defense line could make some issues, but I still, again, like, the offense, Centennial, I don't trust what they're going to do with Steve even though they basically have everybody vaccinated on their team, which some teams can't say, which is good. For, for the Rams there, but is there enough talent on Rant CSU to make any dent, like Manny Jones or somebody getting up for Cordero enough to make it uncomfortable?
0: Well, I mean, you know me. I'm, I think I'm a little more optimistic on the Rams coming into 2021. So I I think we completely overlooked UNLV, by the way. Um, oh, wait. I have, them, I have them beating the Rebels. We'll just kind of – Yeah, sorry. I, 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 um, but I do also. have them losing to both Colorado State and Wyoming at the end of the year.
2: At home to CSU, they're going to lose? Yeah. Well, give me your pitch before wrapping up here, because I know we're on a time crunch tonight.
0: Uh, I I mean, to me, it just comes down to the strength of the Rams' defense. Like, I think if, if Hawaii is going to be subject to anything this year, I think strong defenses are the one thing that could potentially hold them back from reaching their ceiling.
2: I just – I get your point, but I don't see the Rams' offense doing enough to beat this Hawaii defense.
0: Well, and that's why I see a lot of their – Upset opportunities as being a little bit um, uh, uh, earlier in their conference schedule rather than later.
2: Okay, no, that makes sense. And then Wyoming. Yeah, I got that one as a loss. That game, which we discussed before, freaking Jamin Valaday, Sean Chambers running the offense, they have too many options. And all we could say now, with this being week number, whatever final game of the year, essentially. We don't know what the passing game is going to look like. We have ideas of what it could be. But the Wyoming defense, like we talk about that, uh what they do versus the offensive line against that, or the ran, or excuse me, flip it over, the de- yeah, defense against the rushing attack, which the Warriors are kind of not there. Mm-hmm. I think virtually, what, 105th in the country last year. Pretty yeah. not good. So I think Wyoming has too many strengths. It- it might not, it'd probably be a lowish scoring game, and I think it could be close, but being on road and Laramie, potential for cold weather, late November, it's going to be a game to watch, because that game will be pretty exciting, just because I think what the contrasting styles are, but i and plus, who doesn't want to see Hawaii wearing their all blacks in snow or something, right? Yeah, exactly. people <laughs> you wear black on the road, isn't that the case? Dark, I think, usually? Yeah, usually. I don't know. Why not? Go for it, sure. Yeah, that'd be a fun sight, so... That's it for this particular episode of Hawaii football. My record. Oh, really? Right. You five. gotta give
0: me your final record projection.
2: I I'm getting there. I eight okay. five. Okay. losing five conference games. Okay. Yikes. So, so put it puts them four and oh no, yeah, three and five in conference play. I hate that, but that's the case.
0: So I've got them at six and seven. and oh, Two geez. and six overall in
2: conference. Yikes. I don't feel great about that though. <laughs> I could tell by you saying six and seven? Question mark.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and Hawaii is going to be a really fun team to watch, regardless.
2: Calvin Turner this, like, for the win.
0: A, this is like the least <laughs> confident I've ever been about a, a projected fifth place team ever. Let's put it that the whole, way.
2: The whole West Division, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, we'll get to our big preview show in a couple weeks. But like I said, and I'm not, I'm not just saying it to say it. Out of outside of UNL, UNLV, I would not, even though I. My, if you listen to hell, my first no state projections above Nevada, which is weird at the moment, I'll fix that. But I think Nevada's the top of the division. But I'll keep saying it. Five of the six teams can win. I wouldn't be surprised if anybody but you and L wins the division. And it might be a team that goes five and three in league play and tiebreakers come into play. That's probably what I'm gonna be getting at when we do our big preview in like two weeks.
0: Yeah, so so plan your caffeine consumption strategies accordingly.
2: Heck yeah, especially if you're not in the you're in the Pacific time zone, I'm in the Mountain time zone. So those 10 o'clock tips, yeah, not k- kickoffs. Just be ready. Get that Red Bull. Get get your multi screen up. Get your we don't know Spectrum how that's working, but maybe there'll be a, a stadium here. Also, we got to wrap it up. Their home stadium, 9,000 seats this year. We mentioned they're playing at Ching uh, Complex. Is that what it's called? I believe uh yeah tc ching athletics complex Uh, this is just this ching okay tc ching so because aloha stadium or honolulu stadium is not really in the best shape so if nothing else watch for that unique atmosphere of a 9000 seat stadium which get it rocking get it packed you know what i mean exactly get it shaking go crazy man come on just do that so that's our hawaii preview we have unlv next show then the season is here Top 50 countdowns going down. We're doing a few polls and stuff from the site that should be coming up this week, some other type of previews and why teams can win this or win that. But MWR.com is our website. And we'll be back next time for number 12 of 12 with the UNLV Rebels talking. We'll see how they go with, with Tony Sanchez. So we'll be back next time, folks.